Welcome to HBF. It is good to see you. And uh, I was going to tell you to stay standing, but you're seated. So stay seated, please, for just a moment. And uh, it's uh, it's so good to see you. This morning, we're going to be in the book of First John. So we've you come to hear Malachi, you missed it. Uh, we're going to be in the book of First John. You can go back, though, and get it on the recording. So that we are glad that you are with us today. Uh, the book of First John, man, what a great book. I can remember when I first got saved, uh, the very fir- one of the first sermons I actually heard preached was from the book of First John, and uh, it radically altered my life. And so uh, I'm so excited to get into the book of First John with you all this morning. I have never preached through the book of First John. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've done any sermons. I've done plenty of devotions and things like that, lot, taught a lot of discipleship from First John. But uh, I just realized uh, this weekend, like this is the first time that I know of that I've done a full-blown sermon from First John, which is hard for me to believe, uh, being here at HBF. Now, I could be wrong and don't remember it or don't have my notes which, uh, somewhere, and I've lost them. So if, if uh, I need to be corrected, please do so. But uh, I was just like, wow. So First John is an incredible book. So today we're going to be in First John. Uh, just if you have your Bibles, let's look at First John chapter 1. And uh, let's look at the text together, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, if you could uh, and would, please, if you can and are physically able, let's stand in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading this text. We're going to read the first five verses this morning. Uh, and then um, I'm going to really do an overview. So we won't dive as deep into this as I'd like until we get into this, uh, this text uh, expositorily, but tonight, or this afternoon, this morning, tonight, this afternoon, this morning, this morning, uh, we're going to be here in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands <coughs> have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, and we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it is light, it is life. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. We pray, God, this morning as we begin this introduction and this uh, overview of the book of 1 John, Lord, that you would just honor your word. This this epistle, this whole Bible is so rich. Uh, Lord, it is your mind, and we, we know that there is a great power there. But, Lord, I pray, God, that you would use the time that we have to take that power that resides in you, and, Lord, that you would maximize uh, the, the, the work of the Spirit of God in our lives so that we can accomplish your mission, your power for your glory, Lord, in the time that we have left. Lord, we thank you and we praise you so much for giving us um, this opportunity and time to, to minister the gospel. And we're so thankful you've given us God's word. Lord, you've given us this epistle from 1 John, uh, Lord, that was given held over from the very first century for a time such as this. And so, Father, we pray, God, that you would just uh, bless your word as we read it, as we hear it. But most importantly, Lord, today, I pray, God, that you would bless the word lived out, Lord, that we would be able to really enjoy the sweet fellowship that this uh, book intends us to have with you, with one another. And, Lord, that we would continue to draw all men to yourself, Lord, that we would exalt your name, Lord, that we'd magnify and glorify you. Uh, and, Lord, that you would get all the honor, the praise, and the glory. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. Thank you for, for uh, standing before the Word of God. So today, as we start our study in the book of 1 John, I am excited for, for a few reasons. I'll just mention a few of them. There's probably more than this. But number one, 1 John completes the study of Malachi. Or I should say it complements the study of Malachi. Malachi is completed, but it really complements the study of Malachi. And we've studied in Malachi how we need to choose to love God. Remember how Israel had the opp- opportunity to love God. God starts off and says, I have loved you. Uh, and then he gives the ways. And they kept questioning him and questioning him. And of course, we know after that uh, book of Malachi, God goes silent for 400 years. And the next thing you see is the advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 2,400 years later, approximately, right, you have, uh, well, 400 years, basically, after silence comes, there's the Lord Jesus Christ at his first coming, and then this epistle is written, First uh, John that we've read, along with all the New Testament. But uh, 2,400 years later, uh, we're standing here at HBF, and we're looking at First John, and God is speaking to us again about his love for us. And uh, he's using the apostle John. Uh, to do that this morning so that he can prepare us for the coming of the Lord. The time is coming soon where he's going to catch us away. He's going to take us out of here. And even in this epistle, John is asking us to be prepared for that. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, Now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, you know, the thing about being a born-again Christian is once you're born, you can't be unborn. Once you're saved, uh, you can't be unsaved. You are in Christ. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But the reality is you can't stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and be ashamed. And one of the things that this book will help us all do, including the preacher, is really get ready for the day uh, that the Lord comes to catch us away. We talk a lot about the day of the Lord in the book of, Re- uh, book of Malachi and how that is referenced to that second coming of, of Revelation 19 and uh, all the prophecies therein that we, we kind of glossed over as we went through the book of Malachi. I spent a lot of time kind of deep diving on some of that. But today, as we're in 1 John, now we as a church, we're looking for the, the catching away of the church. It's a, it's a day that we are looking forward to. It's our, it's our blessed hope, the Bible says. It's not a, a great and dreadful day. It's a day that we look forward to. But yet, John is warning us. He's like, look, you don't want to be ashamed, right, at his appearing. You want to have confidence, he says. That's the word he uses. He says, confidence uh, at his appearing. You don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. So there is conduct that is becoming of a Christian, right, of a child. You want to, you want when God's away, right, you, you don't want to let the, the children play, right? The children need to be following the orders of the commands. It's like when you come home, someone's been watching your, ki- watching your kids, and you get a report, and uh, you're, always, you're always glad when they say, man, they were just little angels while you were gone. You're like, yes. And so, uh, so when Jesus, while Jesus is away, and he's getting ready to come and, and get we need to be doing what it is he's put us here to do, right? We don't want to be ashamed. So that's one of the reasons I'm excited to get into this, this epistle and this letter of 1 John, because it really does help prepare us. It helps prepare us for what is uh, shortly to come in the catching away of the church. Number two it, uh, it, it concludes, um, just as Malachi concluded the Old Testament, God uses John to c- conclude the New Testament. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, of course, those three letters are written by John. And then, of course, there's Jude. And then the last book is Revelation. So four of those five uh, are written by John. Uh, Jude is squeezed in, the, in, the, in there between 3rd John and Revelation, like Daniel's 70th week is squeezed in between the church age and the millennium. Just a little, little short message, and then he's off to the book of Revelation. 
And so in God's uh, providence, the bulk of God's final words to the church are from the Apostle John. Now in 1 John, the third thing I'd point out is that it's a practical book, right? It's, it's a book that is really practical for the saints. In John's epistle, he addresses the saints as disciples. And when I say his epistle, I'm talking about the book of John. Uh, maybe you're like me. The first time I heard a message from 1 John, I was probably longer than this into the message, and I was still in the, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right, the, the big thick one in the front. And so if you have not caught up and I've said 1 John, I know because I've been you. You're sitting there going, the 1 John in my New Testament's back here. Okay, so I know that. That's, that's, the, that's the Gospel of John. So we call it the Gospel of John or it's titled the Gospel of John. 1 John is in the back of the New Testament. So it's a little epistle, five chapters long. That's where we are. Uh, and so uh, 1 John is, is a dealing, the book of John, I'm sorry, deals with uh, us as disciples, right? John uh, writes about the, the uh, disciples. He talks about us needing to be sheep. Oftentimes it's referenced how Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And he concludes with Peter talking about feeding the lambs, feeding the sheep. And so there's that connotation that we're following Christ. And, and that's what disciples do. They follow Christ. Um, and we're likened to farm animals, so there you go. And so, uh, uh, so that's that's what we're like. We're like sheep. But when you get to the book of First John, it changes. Now you have the elder statesman. You have John the apostle, uh, the elder John, uh, the one who is now sage in wisdom. Uh, of course, he was always wise, as we can see from the New Testament. But this this is now uh, everyone, even the older people, are young to John because John lived a good long time, and he ta- he oftentimes calls them little children. And he speaks to them, not like sheep and not like disciples, but like, well, like a family, like, like grandpa. And he gives them that, that, that encouragement that they need from the elder statesman. And that's, of course, what we need today. Every now and then, you need somebody that's a little older and wiser to step in. So God's bringing in the Apostle John uh, from antiquity, right, from 2,400 plus years ago. So he can talk to us about what it is to have fellowship with God. And man, what a blessing that's going to be. As we look at these epistles. Now you can't divorce 1 John from 2 and 3 John. They do all go together. John addresses the saints as a family. And as sons as I've mentioned. In Revelation he addresses the saints as priests and kings. So there's also a transition. right? After we get caught up and we're in the third heaven. Uh, we are now priests and kings. Now obviously right now we are that. But it does not yet appear what we shall be. So we have priestly work to do now. And we understand that. But the reality is, is there's different ways that you can view yourself. Right? Uh, sheep disciples following the Lord Jesus Christ we're in the household of faith and more importantly we're in the body of Christ we are the family of God and we are also uh, set apart for God's use as priests and kings in the kingdom of God so we have a spiritual responsibility to pray unlike everybody else and throughout you don't have to put on a Levitical garb you don't have to go through a bunch of of uh, Levitical law all you can all you got to do now if you're saved is go straight to the throne of God and so one of the ways that you'll get there is to pay attention to what John says so that you have right fellowship with God because that's going to help our access as priests and kings to the throne of God so we can accomplish his mission and his power. So this is so important as we, as we consider. Now those are just three things that just, just personal to me. These are the th- reasons, some of the reasons, not all, but some of the reasons that, that God has put, put this epistle upon my heart. Now this is, First uh, John is the heart of the general epistles. Um, now, we don't use those terms around here very often, the general epistles. We just say First John, Second John, Third John. But uh, what are the general epistles? Well, I'm glad you asked. So th- that is James and First Peter, Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, and Jude. 
So after you really depart from the Pauline epistles, you have this this group of five uh, what we call general epistles before you get to the book of Revelation, uh, which is called apocalyptic oftentimes. But uh, 1 John sits in the center of that. It's no surprise that John's epistle is the heart of the general epistles. It's John who was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And at the Lord's Supper, at that last Passover meal that he shared with them, uh, he was at Jesus' bosom, and he had his head upon Jesus' chest. And he is the one, um, as they were all saying, hey, uh, you know, who did that? Who, who's the one that's going to betray you? He's the one that said, you know what? Who, who is it? He didn't say, is it me? He said, who is it? <laughs> right? He was close with God. And uh, in John chapter 13 and verse 23, it says, Now there were leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Whom Jesus loved. You know what? Not only did he have a heart for Jesus, Jesus had a heart for him. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we often say that all scripture is written for you, but not all scripture is written to you. And of course, that's actually very accurate. That's the case with the general epistles as well. It is, <coughs> it is not that, uh, that Hebrews and the general epistles don't apply to us doctrinally. They were written to Christians in the first century, so they are relevant to, church doc- to the church doctrinally. However, they also have a dual application to future saints in the coming tribulation. So after the church is caught away, these epistles are going to pop uh, to those tribulation saints. As they come through the Pauline epistles, they'll see themselves as they come through the book of Acts. They'll see themselves as they wrestle with the four gospels, right? And they see Jesus really did come to this earth. And then they're going to wrestle with the transition from the Jews to the Gentiles as they read through the book of Acts and they see the church age in the rearview mirror. And it'll be about that time that they walk into God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, right, in Hebrews. And my goodness, if you're a Hebrew and you open up a book in the New Testament that has your name on it, Hebrew, you might look at it closely. And they'll find as they go through the book of Hebrews that, wow, this is better. This is better. Jesus is better than the law, right? He's a better priesthood. He's a better sacrifice. All that's in the book of Hebrews. And and they'll figure all that out. And and lo and behold, they transition to these general epistles, which are going to prepare them for exactly where they are uh, at that time in history. So they will be prepared to apply that also in the tribulation. So there's kind of a dual aspect of that. For us in the church age, it has doctrinal significance, but also after we're caught away, it's going to have significance to those tribulation saints um, that will endure to the end and be saved or be executed uh, under the reign of the Antichrist in the coming tribulation. Or if there are 144,000, be caught up at the end of the tribulation. But that's a whole other Bible study. You'll have to come back on Wednesday night for that. All right, so... Um, and so uh, and so that's incredible as well, just in itself. And so as we look at those situations, we got to understand that uh, we can't forget this. And second, <coughs> Ron can't see me. I mean, that came out of nowhere. In Second Timothy three sixteen, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right, so John, uh, so that's a little bit about the book of John in regard to um, its role in the general epistles. How many of you heard that? That's the first time you've heard about that. Okay, a few of you? Okay, that's good. So you guys are fairly well-educated group. All right, now 1 John is very practical, and that's really when it comes to preaching uh, what it's all about is getting practical because if we can't apply it, it's not good preaching, is it? we got to be able to walk out of here with some handles on something. So 1 John 1, 4 says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Man, isn't that a blessing? Right off the bat, right in the introductory comments of 1 John, John says, hey, listen, the reason I'm writing this epistle 
is that your joy be full? How many of you, don't raise your hand, please, because I, I don't want to... I don't want someone not to raise their hand, but how many of you could, if you were really going to raise it, please don't, could raise your hand right now and say, with all honesty, don't worry about everybody else, it's just you and the Lord, can raise your hand and say, you know what, I am just full of the joy of the Lord. Amen. I bet there's some that can, and I bet there's some that can't, right? So this epistle is, it, that's what it's here for. If you really boil it down, what are you gonna, what's my prayer that we walk out of here with? Well, in the midst of whatever comes in this world, this life, which, believe me, there's always going to be disappointments, there's always going to be difficulties, but when we walk out of here, we ought to be full of joy. As a matter of fact, the reason that John is writing this epistle is because there's problems. There's some issues going on, but you know what? He says, I'm writing this, that you don't lose your joy, that you don't let anything or anyone rob your joy. And I'd be lying to you here if I, did, if I wasn't telling you that there's times in my life I've allowed that to happen, right? Isn't it easy to, to think that there's circumstances outside of your world that can rob you of your joy. But when you really boil it down biblically, man, God doesn't want us to lose our joy. And we'll talk about that. I can't wait to get, that's going to be a whole message. You know, I'll get into that later. So, uh, but this is just a flyover this morning. So, but I just want you to know there's some practical stuff in here regarding our life and our walk with God. And it, ultimately, it's about our joy. God wants us to have joy. And so, John is historically writing to Christians, and it's supposed to be his writing, <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's supposed to, uh, he is supposed to be writing to the saints of the seven churches of Asia. It's I'm sorry, here's what I'm trying to say. It is supposed that he is writing to the seven churches of Asia from Ephesus, while the others, uh, many other scholars believe he's writing to Christians scattered abroad uh, at the dispersion in 70 AD. I think it could be both uh, because uh, it, we don't really know. So bottom line is God left it kind of ambiguous for a reason. So we can all apply it no matter who you are as a Christian. And so this epistle is a this is meant to be applied, whether you were one in one of the seven churches of Asia, uh, connected to the seven churches of Revelation, which makes complete sense, or if you were uh, you were a saint that was dispersed, maybe from a Jewish background that was dispersed at the from Jerusalem after the uh, the, the sacking of Jerusalem by Titus in seventy A.D. Maybe you went to one of those seven churches. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, this epistle was written so that you might have joy. And so uh, so the who. Are Christians. That's what's important of this epistle. This is dealing with Christians. Whether their background was Jew or Greek was not an issue because in Christ we're new creatures. In 1 John 3, 1 through 12, we, or 1 through 2, we find our identity is in Christ as sons of God. Perhaps one of my most quoted verses you'll hear me say around here is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So, uh, and we'll get to that later as well, but it's so important to understand our identity as sons of God, and there's a whole lot in that. We'll get to that when we get to it in our preaching. At the what of this epistle, he's writing about he is writing about Christ and his relationship with man and the Godhead. That's why people are getting robbed of their joy. People are twisting the character of God. They're, they're trying to reappropriate or misappropriate uh, his, his characteristics, attacking his deity, attacking his humanity, and so, uh, so that's a very important issue uh, for John as he's writing this. So all of that is summarized in one word that he, we just read in the introduction. It's called fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, the people in the spirit of Antichrist were actively working at this time to twist the Christian's understanding of Christ and his relationship to the Godhead. And so doing, messing up the relationship that the Christians would then have with the God of heaven, Right? And this is going on today as well, so this is really appropriate uh, for the time in which we live. In John's epistle, he focused on believing in Jesus' deity. 
I'm talking about the Gospel of John. So when you read the book of John, you deal with John is really putting forth the fact that Jesus is God. I mean, all the way through that epistle of John, uh, the Gospel of John. I mean, he has written that so that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's no doubt about it. That's what the epistle is all about. When you get to 1 John, uh, John is focusing on correcting and clarifying Gnostic doctrines uh, that would attack the humanity of Christ. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. That Jesus was, was all man, that he was very clearly God with skin on, right? You can't get through the book of John without knowing that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that's, I'm talking about John chapter 1. I'm going to go back and quickly read that. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, That, that same was in the beginning uh, with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, getting us back to 1 John. That light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And so Jesus came to this earth, and you know what? He was the light of the world, but he also was flesh. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, in our introduction, introduction, it says, That which we have, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon. And he says this, And our hands have handled of the word of life. He's letting them know we have touched Jesus in his earthly ministry. We literally had our hands on him for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and shown to you that eternal life which was, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And so he's letting them know very clearly that Jesus Christ came in a bodily form which was also being attacked in the first century. And so this is important because it impacts our fellowship with him. In 1 John it's written also to strengthen our fellowship with Christ and with one another. He wants us to have a good fellowship with the Lord, just as the apostles did. He's like, hey, I, we hung out with Jesus. We want you to hang with Jesus, right? Now, of course, Jesus is in us, but he wants that fellowship to be sweet, just like their fellowship was sweet. Just because Jesus physically isn't here doesn't mean we should not have sweet fellowship. Quite, quite the contrary. We have his spirit, we have his word, and we have each other. That's what we need to have sweet fellowship. Again, all those three things are being attacked today as well. And so in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, uh, he says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that, <clears throat> that ye also may have, there's the word, fellowship, right, and, and with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he wants us all to be uh, like all the fellows in a ship, right? They're, these guys were fishermen, a lot of them. And so they knew what fellowship was. You get pretty close and cozy in those ships. So we all need to be close with Christ, close with one another, and he wants our, our fellowship to be equitable, right? He wants it to be, he wants us to be in fellowship. There's a lot of talk today about equity, right? This is the kind of equity we need to be focusing on, having a re relationship with God and having his love draw us all together to, to himself and one another. Hence, the title of our sermon series, by the way, is to know God uh, is to love God. That is the title of our sermon series, To Know God is to Love God. The great commandment is on full display in 1 John. Uh, we always hear, you always hear me talking about that, the great commandment, right? Love God, love people in a summary. That is what we need to be about. In 1 John 4 and verse 20, uh, John says this. He says, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, oh, he's a liar. Yeah, that's pretty straight language. So today, that's, a, that's another, you'll find all kinds of these as we go through 1 John. These are, these are that's why... The hand raises stay down. These are heart raises. You know, in your heart, can you say that? I don't, I hate my brother. If you say you hate your brother, so don't lie to God. You're not right with God. You need to get right with God. Lord's Supper's coming up here at the end of the month. Man, you can apply that today and get ready for, for the Lord's Supper. He says, if any man love God, 
and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So you cannot say, I hate my sister or my brother, and then turn around and say, oh, I love God, and I'm full of joy of the Lord. Well, you're lying. You may not, I hate, you, I mean, you may not be lying to me, but you could be lying to yourself. And so, uh, God forbid, that would be the case. So John, you see how John works? It'll straighten you out in a hurry. I mean, it'll get down there where you live and make you deal with yourself, which is good. So let me give you an outline of the, first, of the book of 1 John as well. 1 John, now, this is one of these epistles. It's written in, a, in, a, uh, in an oriental fashion, so it kind of has these themes that it loops around. Uh, and the two themes are light and life, primarily. And there's a lot there that you can, you can just, this book is deep. I'm just telling you, there's so much in 1 John. The more I've been uh, digging into it, I, just, I, I was telling Amy, I'm like, man, there's so much I want to say. I just, this is an overview day. And, uh, and so we'll get to it later. But there's so much in 1 John. I can't believe it. But it's interesting because they say that, well, you know what? You can't outline this book, you know, like us Gentiles like to do. I'm not a Gentile. I'm a new creature in Christ. But I come from a, from a more Gentile background. We like to do everything linearly. And uh, Orientals, read, they do things in, in more of a cycle. So they'll have a general theme, and then they'll just keep talking about it and talking about it, and they'll hit that cycle over and over. And a lot of poetry is written that way. And First John is somewhat like that. There's another fancy title for that kind of uh, writing, but I've forgotten. So that's just as well. But I get, I, nonetheless, I got an outline. And uh, I was praying about it, and I'm like, well, you know, the scholars say you can't come up with an outline, but I did. So here it is. It may be right. It may be wrong. It may be crazy. But uh, anyway, I'm thinking of Billy Joel now. But anyway, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and it, the, the thing that's very obvious is he's dealing with the incarnation, the incarnation of Christ. And then second, uh, 1 John chapter 2, he deals with uh, propitiation. He talks about how Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation, the work of Christ and what that means to us. Uh, and so he deals with his incarnation in chapter 1 and what that means to us and our fellowship. In chapter 2, he deals with his, uh, his, his uh, pr uh, propitiation. But that's a big fancy word we'll get into when we get to chapter 2. But that deals with our sin, right? It helps us rectify the issues of our sin. You know, some of those things we've been kind of pointing out as we've been going along. And then the third chapter deals with our transformation. I've already touched on that, right? That we are the sons of God. Boy, what does that mean? You're going to have to wait till we get there. But it means a lot, right? And then the, in, the, in the fourth chapter, it deals with uh, love's manifestation. Man, God manifests his love in very tangible ways that we can get our hands on. And the fifth chapter deals with what I call our illumination because it really deals with knowing God, what we can know about God, which, by the way, gets back to the theme of the whole chapter, which is to know God is to love God. And so there's these two great truths about God revealed in 1 John, and it's not the only two, but these are two really big ones that loom large. Uh, these two great truths are very simple. Number one, God is light, and the second one is that God is love. God is light, and God is love. And I bet most of us, could, you could have probably come up with that on your own. God is light, and God is love. You hear that all the time. Uh, I hear it a lot. But this book is designed to help us really know and understand what that really means and how we can walk in the light and have fellowship with him and with one another as we experience the love of God. The, the idea is not just to have a knowledge about this stuff, but it's to have, have a reality in our life where this is like oozing out of our pores. And you know what? If that happens, you will be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You will shine brightly until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is coming soon, by the way. And so we could literally fulfill that, uh, that, that mandate from Philippians chapter 2 just by applying the things that we learn from the, from the, the book of 1 John. And then uh, I've already mentioned our title is to know God 
is to love God. This epistle is often said to be the epistle of love, and, uh, and it is. Uh, love is a prominent theme. But God also wants us to know him. He wants us to walk away assured, right, and, and confident and walk away with that knowledge. Knowledge isn't bad, uh, but it needs to be the right knowledge. And that's why that it's a, only five chapters long. But in this little epistle, John just unravels a bunch of philosophy that's just, just eating and eroding away at the first century church through what's called Gnosticism. And I'll speak to that here in, in just a few moments. The word know, by the way, is found in this epistle 27 times in 22 verses. Uh, and, uh, and so that's a lot. The only word that, that uh, I found that other than, you know, other common words like I or it. Uh, but another, the, the word love is found 33 times in 23 verses. So those are two, also the two major themes that you see, the knowing God and loving God. And, of course, when we think about knowing in the sense of intimacy, uh, that's very intimate, right? So you want to know God in a, in a, in a way that uh, it, it draws you close to him. And so my prayer is that we study this epistle and we grow in both our knowledge of who God is and our love for one another. Isn't that a simple goal? So would you sign up for that this morning? All right, because if you're like, Brian, I don't really want to know God, and I really don't care about anybody, and I don't want to love anybody, well, then, you know what, maybe you should just go somewhere else. I mean, really, <laughs> because uh, you're going to be a problem for God. Now, God loves you, and God wants you, but the reality is this is what God wants for his saints. That's really what he wants. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love one another. And you say, well, I don't love everybody, but I love God. No, you don't. You're lying to yourself, right? So he wants to get us right with him so we can be right with one another. And you know who you got to start with? It's us. It's not everybody else. The person you got to deal with is you, right? Me, right? Each of us have to. This is one of these studies that you don't need to look at your wife. You don't need to look at your husband. You don't need to look at your kids. Look at you. And it'll have the most impact because this is about us knowing God. Okay, we could just say amen, but I'm not even getting, that's, I haven't gotten started. That's just my introduction, do my introduction. Uh, and so there's a lot in this epistle, so I thought I would just break it down uh, in an acrostic so that somebody might remember it. I don't know if I will, but maybe you will. So number one, number one is number one. Why do I say that? Because this is First John. And so if you're taking notes, I didn't give you a note sheet, but you can write the number one and leave space because I'm going to go, I'm going to go one J-O-H-N. You got it? One J-O-H-N, and then i got some titles for you as we go. One, we're going to deal with the Godhead. The Godhead is one. One of the most attacked verses in your Bible is found in this book. It's found in 1 John because it removes any shadow of doubt about the union of the Godhead, commonly called the Trinity. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, mark it down. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They are one, very clearly. It's stated there. This passage is attacked over and over again. When we get to that text, I'll cover that in detail. But just understand, John wants the church to know God is one. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The Son is the word there, by the way. The word found in, defined in First John, or I mean in the book, the epistle of John, chapter 1, the epistle of First uh, John, and also Revelation uh, 19. And so First John chapter 5 and verse 7 makes that very clear. But John's gospel is written to establish the deity of Christ. Uh, the whole, as I mentioned, the whole epistle or the gospel of John. That you got voluminous amounts of, of evidence that Jesus Christ is God. 
in that epistle of the Gospel of John, the big fat one at the front of your New Testament. But this little one also, this little epistle, this little letter, wants us to understand not only that that uh, that Jesus Christ is God and, and that these three are one. First John does not shy away from from that from the fact that Jesus is God and that His deity, uh, that He is He is God in the flesh. It makes sure that the Gnostics who were attacking the church understood Jesus's humanity as well, which is an interesting thing. Which for us at this time in history, we don't think a lot about this. It's kind of the reverse. Uh, today, a lot of people, you know, uh, look at Jesus Christ as just a man, right? And he's not God. So today is a good time to really focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. But in the first century, uh, there were people who said, oh, no, uh, God is God and Jesus Christ was, was a man. And, and, they, and they, they basically did not give Jesus Christ uh, any kind of, it's kind of upside down and backwards. They believed that, that Jesus was God. They just didn't believe that Jesus was God. It sounds, I know it sounds confusing, so let me unwrap that for you. They didn't think he was physically a being, that he was just like a, an aberration, because God would never become human flesh. Even though that's what the Bible says, and that's what happened, they're like, no, no, that, that cannot be the case, because, because we have a high view of, of God, and so God would never become flesh, because flesh is sinful. As a matter of fact, they believed all matter was sinful. And so, so they, they just could not come to the, the reality, the recognition that God became flesh and dwelled among us, as the Bible clearly teaches. And so they're like, well, Jesus was a real person, but he was either not physically in a body, he was an aberration, or he came upon him in the spirit, and then he left him, but it really, he was just a man separated from Jesus. He wasn't all God and all man. You understand what I'm saying? And so, if you don't, well, that's okay, because it doesn't make sense anyway. That's what they believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. So that, is, that was one of the things, though, that was corrupting the church at this time. The reason they were denying the divinity of Christ was so that they could get back, some of them wanted to get back in fellowship uh, in the synagogue. And so John's, uh, 1 John does not shy away from this at all. First of all, we've got to understand what this term Gnosticism is. The word Gnostic simply means knowledge or knowing. Uh, you've often uh, heard the uh, kids that, you know, they go off to college and, um, you know, they get a hold of some professor. They never learned their Bible. They never took any time themselves and studied the Word of God. They just believed what everybody told them. And then they go off to college, and some professor with good rhetorical skills gets up, and he comes, he comes up with something they've never heard of and, and some cute argument. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, this actually happened here at Heartland many years ago. Some guy went off to college, a good kid. He comes back, went to a science class, comes back. I don't believe that God created the earth in six days. It's just not possible. I'm like, wait, wait, time out. I'm at the door of the church in the, at the school at the time. I'm like, wait, give me time to talk to you from the Bible about the creation account. Nope, I don't believe it because I, I said, wait a minute. I, I'm not asking you to believe it or not believe it. I'm asking you, let's sit down with the Bible and walk through the scripture so you can see what happened from the beginning. What happened between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2? What happened with with I'm wanting to lay all this out for him with God recreating, as it says there, and replenishing. And so uh, what? let me tell you what all that's about. Of course, you know what? Gone. Nope. I reject it. Why is that? Because they never received it. Nobody ever taught it to them. They never received it in their heart. They don't know. John wants people to know. Know Jesus. Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. Gnosticism. It's simply a word that means knowledge or knowing. And, and so what happens oftentimes is people 
come back from school and they're called an agnostic. How many of you heard of that term, agnostic? I'm an agnostic. It's like agnostic, meaning a void of knowledge. That's literally what it means. I'm void of knowledge. I don't know. There's no way for me to know. There's no empirical evidence to know if Jesus Christ is God. Uh, there's no way. So instead of taking a position, I'm going to be a spineless worm, and I'm just going to say, I don't know. I have no knowledge. I'm, I'm agnostic. And, uh, and so that's a good way to, to get out of that. And so uh, I just don't know. Uh, and so the famous preacher Harry Ironside quoted that Charles Spurgeon as saying, agnostic is a fancy uh, way of saying the, uh, in the Greek, the same word in Latin that means ignoramus. And so <laughs> I thought that was funny. Agnostic is the opposite of agnostic. Okay, so we know it. We're familiar with agnosticism. That's why I bring it up. You, we've all ran into that. Maybe at one time that was where we lived. Okay, so we get that. That's kind of the that's kind of the spirit of our age, right? Just kind of get out of it, right? I don't want any confrontation. I just want to be stupid. Okay, let me leave me alone. Let me die and go to hell. All right. So that's 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 pretty much the spirit of the age today. But at this time in the first century, you had guys that said, "Oh no, no, no! It's quite the opposite. We actually have the knowledge." Now this will ring true with you too today because this is also going on. We have the knowledge, and it's superior to your knowledge. And it's our knowledge that saves us. And these guys would form a little club and, and the Gnostics. Now, this wasn't a religion, per se. They still would claim to be Christ, and they would use all the verbiage that we would. But the reality is they had a philosophy. Gnosticism is a philosophy because it really comes out of, of Greek, a Greek philosophy, ultimately. And it's a viewpoint. Uh, of, and, they, and they have a view of who God is, Zeus. And they want to impose that upon Christ, and they're not compatible. It goes on today as well. And so they form their little club of scholars, and uh, they say, look. And they go down in Alexandria and in Egypt, and they write. There's actually some writings that have been found and uncovered in uh, the last 20 years, and they've read through them, and they found the preponderance of the documents are actually actively working against Christ and his gospel. Surprise, shazam, duh. And so, um, like, that's a revelation. These are the types of things that the Apostle John was, was up against in the first century. Um, and these would claim that they had higher knowledge that made them superior to the average man. Unless you were in their club, man, you didn't have the keys. You, you couldn't really, really know God unless you knew what they knew. And they kept that knowledge to themselves. It was mysterious. It was a mystery. And not like the Apostle Paul who's laying out the mysteries chapter after chapter in the New Testament, right, and giving us that knowledge through the Word of God. And so God hates that sort of arrogance. In Revelation 2.6 and 2.15, he talks about the deeds and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. These were people who would lord over uh, the people. And we hardly have to imagine uh, what that sect was like, for, for we see their spirit on display in the first coming of Christ in the stoning of Stephen. Uh, they stand toe-to-toe with God in the flesh and deny him. Uh, these are the clouds without water, right? They're puffed up. They're full of pride, standing before Jesus himself and saying, uh, you know, who's the Christ, right? And, uh, and things like that. Pilate was standing there. What is truth, right, to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life? It's important that we understand what's going on in the first century because we see it on steroids in the past couple centuries when it comes to education. It has become so relative that it has left off crea the creation account and a literal interpretation of the scripture. In the 1800s, the, they wandered into relati relativism, 
And nothing is absolute. Nothing is right or nothing is wrong. Everything is evolving. And it's subject to you as the judge to figure out what is true and what is not. You may wonder, uh, how in the world did it get that way? Well, uh, how can people deny empirical evidence when it's right in front of their face? Well, what you do is you become a scholar. And, I don't, and I'm not saying that to, to diss on scholars, but that's absolutely true. Because the judgment always rests with the scholar. It doesn't rest with the force outside of them, which happens to be God. God is the absolute authority in all manners of anything. Doctrine, creation, whatever you want to talk about, God is the ultimate authority. That is rejected by these types of Gnostic scholars. I'm not saying everyone who's a scholar comes at it that way, but most of them do. And so uh, in that same spirit, the Greeks and the Romans, they had all kinds of knowledge. The Greeks, of course, with knowledge. You go to the university today, what letter are you going to hang above your fraternity or sorority? A Greek letter, right? Because that's synonymous with, hey, these are the people with the knowledge. You get in the club, you get the letter, right? You're, you're cool. And so that's where the knowledge lies, even today in the university. But the, the Romans, on, on the flip side, what did they have? They had the power, right? So you, you, put, you mix the, the Greek knowledge with the Roman power, and man, the church is in a bad way because they had knowledge and power over these guys. And, and John's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want, I'm writing this unto you that your joy may be full. Don't get freaked out because Jesus is Lord. He's got this under control. Absolute power and a, absolute, I mean, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We've all heard that. And the Greeks had the knowledge and the Romans had the power, but they didn't have Jesus. And Jesus is all you need. And so this Christian, this man, John, dared uh, believe what Jesus Christ said was true. And he believed that he literally knew him in the flesh because he did. He's like, I'm a firsthand witness, and I want you to have the same fellowship with him that I had. And he dared stand against this bad teaching, this bad doctrine, that Jesus Christ uh, did not literally die on the cross. He's like, yes, he did. That Jesus Christ didn't literally appear in the flesh. Yes, he did. That Jesus Christ wasn't literally God manifest in the flesh, raised on the third day according to the... Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And these three are one, I might add. He just... Boom. And to this day, scholars are attacking that kind of theology because they do not want to submit to God. And so <clears throat> they, they berated uh, the simpletons, right? When you, when you take this view that God has given his word and it's absolute, you will be berated just like the first century Christians. You'll be a simpleton. You'll be someone who has no real knowledge of God because only the scholar can have that knowledge. And that, my friends, is the kind of attitude that is faced oftentimes today when you step out the doors of this church, when you go out into the world in which we live. If you believe this Bible, right, then you are an idiot. That is what is the common, that's the common mindset toward most people who take a literal view of Scripture, who believe and hold to the fact that this Bible is absolutely true. And so you walk out the doors of your church. It's safe here. You're in a safe environment. But, man, you go to the classroom. You go to the, you go to the campus especially. You go to the workplace. Don't you dare hold that this Bible is true. Don't let it control your morals. Do not let it guide your life. Do not walk in the light as he's in the light because we aren't having that. Because in the world we live in, light's darkness and darkness is light, right? And so that's why, that's why we're here this morning, by the way, beloved. You got to come back because we haven't even lit the fuse yet. When we get into this epistle, I pray that God blows us up, man, that we become so bright with light, the world can't take it, right? And people keep coming to Christ because that's really all we can do until Jesus comes back is believe what God says because he's coming. At the end of the day, God is true, and every man's a liar, starting with us, right? So we've got to line our life up with what God's Word says so we can be the brightest light possible because as the day gets darker, guess what? The light gets brighter. 
And man, that's what God has in store for us. He wants us to continue to light up this world. And so, <clears throat> so Paul describes the Gnostics of the first century and, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and what's coming up also before the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a pretty long passage. I think they got it for you. This is what the Apostle Paul says is coming and is here today. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. So not loving God and loving people. That's not the great commandment. Loving ourselves first. For men shall be lovers of our own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, or I'm sorry, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I mean, it's like, it's, it's almost like you could like, let me give you an example. Like, like a cop is trying to stop somebody from killing another person. And instead of the murderer being the bad guy, the cop becomes the bad guy. That's upside down and backwards, folks. It, I mean, what are we watching? It doesn't make sense. Well, that's the way in which it is today, isn't it? That's the mindset of the world. Because there's secret knowledge. And only people that have that knowledge understand how that makes sense. But the most, rest of us are going, I don't get it. Who, that guy used to be the hero, and now he's the goat. How's that work? Moving on. Traitors, petty, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He says, from such turn away. And we know what that looked like. Jesus' ministry was full of Pharisees and Sadducees, people that had the godly demeanor but yet killed the Lord Jesus Christ, had all the vernacular of the, of the, of the Jews but still killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Eh, nothing changes, nothing new under the sun. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not about having more degrees. It's about knowing Jesus. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambers withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. You can't beat Jesus. And so God says, you know what, these guys, their day's coming. Today, Gnostics are, are not into asceticism like origin. They're into power and pleasure, according to what Paul's talking about. While they have the form of godliness, they are surfing the Internet, trying to sneak into somebody's house. They're a creeper, as you like to call them. Like Janice and Jambers in Exodus, they have no problem standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with God's messenger and resisting his demands to let God's people go. Gnosticism wants to, <clears throat> wants to keep you in a philosophy that binds you to the world, just as Pharaoh bound the children of Israel to Egypt. What's it all about today? The, the knowledge of the day, and again, there's nothing, I want to be clear here. There's nothing wrong with going to college and having a degree. So I just want to be clear. It may sound like I'm railing on education. I'm not actually railing on education. Being educated is a great thing. What I'm talking about is pride. When you allow that education to, to, to usurp the authority of God's word, you are in deep, deep trouble. As a matter of fact, you really aren't getting an education. You're, you're getting brainwashed. You need to wash your mind in the water of the word so you can think clearly about all that God has created and all the way God operates. And so it's very interesting. Gnosticism wants to keep you in bondage. 
So if you don't go along, you're dismissed. The, the Christians were no longer welcome in the synagogue. And that's why they, uh, they have, that's why to this very day we have local New Testament churches that, that actually operate very much like a synagogue where we read the word of God and we praise God. This is kind of how a synagogue would operate back in the day. However, some saints had denied the Lord Jesus that bought them and returned to the Jewish synagogue. And by get, to, to get entrance, they denied the Lord who bought them. 1 John 2 speaks to this in verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no uh, doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. John said, Not everybody that came to church was really of us. Well, you can say that today, too. I bet there's many people, maybe even in this room, you come to church, you might like what you hear, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, you've never really trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Hey, you can fool me all day long, but you can't fool Jesus, right? The reality is you've got to know him and him crucified. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. In, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 22, he goes on to say, Who's a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And I can remember as a little boy watching the omen, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm up in the bathroom in the mirror looking for the mark of the beast on my head. I'm like, am I the Antichrist? You know what? I was until I got saved. I was against Christ. You're either with him or you're against him. And so you need to join his team. First John 4 also goes on to say in verse 2, Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard it, that it should come. And even now already is in the world. So take good note, uh, my post-Christian friends, because this society is transforming into one that looked a lot like the one in the first century. Uh, the Christians, <coughs> whether Hebrew or Greeks, it didn't matter. Uh, the ones that especially have a, Greek, have a Hebrew background uh, would only be welcome in the synagogues if they denied Christ. Hey, listen, there's coming a time you may not be welcome at certain universities unless you deny Christ. And so denying Christ will become the flavor of the day. And so uh, be careful. Uh, of course, after the catching away of the church, the Antichrist is the one you're going to have to deny. And that will also come at a great price. So you can see how this book will also have a dual application there. And so they became the, uh, the uh, Jews of the first century who became Christians uh, had to make a decision. Were they going to follow in the way of their disciples, follow John, follow the church that God had established, or were they going to go back to the synagogue and deny Christ? In Revelation 2.9, the Bible says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Hey, Satan has a church too. Some compromisers went back to idolatry, adding Jesus to their uh, pantheon of gods. John had, uh, had a word for them as well in 1 John 5 and verse 21. He says, little children, the last thing he says is keep yourselves from idols. And in the book of Revelation chapter 3, there's a church called Philadelphia, and the door is wide open. The door is open because they rejected idolatry. They rejected all the teachings of the synagogue of Satan, and they believed God's word, and they held fast to the word of God. God says, I'll open the door. You know why the door is open to the world for a little church in the heart of Cass County? I can tell you because we believe God's word and we're serious about getting it where it needs to go on time. It doesn't matter if there's 12 of us or 2,000 of us. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. And the book of 1 John encourages us in that. And so I want you to be encouraged as you go through here and that your joy might be full. 
The price of our fidelity, the price, I'm sorry, for fidelity for many of the saints became their very lives because the arrogance against God Almighty and his absolute power came to bear on many a believer. John encouraged the saints to keep fellowship, even if it meant giving their lives. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, you know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He gave his son. So John turns that around in chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, oh, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Yep. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He's like, you got to be willing to give up your life. That's pretty serious business. That get What? You mean you don't want me just to come to church? You want me to give up my life? Well, I didn't, I didn't write that. That's, I'm just saying, that's just what the Bible says. We're talking about serious Christianity. We'll have young men go off to war. They'll give up their lives for their country, right? Some might give their life for their friend, Jesus said. So what's the big deal? Jesus gave his life for us. We should give our life for him. And so let me quickly talk about, I'm running out of time. Let me quickly just kind of touch on these two schools of Gnosticism. There was this one called uh, Docetism. And Docetism believed that uh, Jesus was divine, but not human. So he was a spiritual man, and he, had never, he never assumed a material form. So in essence, he was a spirit being only. And that heresy was formulated, the false assumption that all matter was evil. And so I won't get into all the details of that, but uh, that led eventually to what's called asceticism, or basically beating yourself, trying to earn submission. You'll see that in, a, in a Islam. You'll see that in a Catholic church outside the United States a lot of times where People will try to do uh, uh, penance, right? They'll try to just earn God's favor by abusing themselves, literally. Uh, self-flagellation, where you beat yourself with the whip and all that stuff. And, uh, and so, uh, flagellation. Well, I hope I said that right. It sounds like a, a bowel movement. <laughs> anyway, this is why men, <laughs> men like Origen, uh, he castrated himself. And that's craziness, man. This guy would be in the Gnostic club, a man that thought he had greater knowledge of God's word and, and got to the point he hated himself so much and his sin nature that he castrated himself physically, not understanding the goodness and the grace of God. And so, and so uh, <clears throat> many uh, docetists believe that the Spirit of God came upon a man named Jesus at baptism and then left him on the cross. So as far as the reality of Jesus going to the center of the earth and preaching and that being all Jesus, nope, that wasn't true. Well, of course it was true. So they, they twist the Gospels. There's also a group of Gnostics called Corinthians, very sounds a lot like the Corinthians, but Corinthians, uh, and they also had strange beliefs in regard to the mystical nature of of, uh, of Jesus Christ. So Gnosticism is in gen- in general leads to mysticism and asceticism, as I've mentioned, and the mysticism teaches only an elect class will have true knowledge of God because they are superior in understanding. Asceticism leads uh, <coughs> uh, teaches that because matter and man is evil. Uh, we must divorce ourselves of humanity to earn higher knowledge of God. It almost sounds like Eastern religion, doesn't it? Kind of like uh, when you meditate and you're looking for higher chakras and you're getting further and further away uh, from the human man and all that stuff. And so all of that, all that, that baloney uh, was being foisted on the church in the first century. So there's three basic fundamentals to Gnosticism. One, the world isn't real, though the evidence of its existence is obvious. So everything you see is not actually there. And then the material world is evil. On top of that, everything material, this is evil, everything's evil. Uh, and then uh, the elitist knowledge is the last. So that's your key to salvation, is having the secret knowledge and the secret key. And so there's an ironic contrast, because in the first century, uh, a high view of God led to Gnosticism, uh, <coughs> to those who would uh, 
who could not believe God became Jesus. And in this century, many believe Jesus was a man who was not really divine. So it's kind of the opposite, as I've already mentioned. So today, many of the cults claim higher knowledge. It doesn't matter if you're a Jehovah Witness, right? They have the Watchtower Society. It doesn't matter what your Bible says. It matters what the Watchtower Society says. If you're a Mormon, right, you got a whole nother epistle. you got a whole nother testament. It's, they literally say, call it that, another testament. Well, wait a minute. The Bible tells us in Galatians, right? It tells us clearly in Galatians 1.8, we're not to receive another testament. Though Paul or another angel give it, right, we're not to receive it, another gospel. Well, that doesn't matter. I just talked to a couple of those the other day. Well, guess what? You're in the same club, pal. Uh, that's a knowledge that I'm not down with. I'm sticking with the word of God. doesn't matter if you're is in Islam, same thing. Replay the tape. Right, a whole nother prophet, a whole nother uh, book, another holy book that contradicts with the word of God. Cast it out. In First uh, John takes care of all the doubts of who Jesus Christ is and what his relationship with the Godhead is. So the second thing, and I'm just on number two. You're like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. John's the uh, the the apostle is the author. It'd be beneficial to read the whole of uh, chapter uh, 13 through 17 of the Epistle of John, and you'll see parallels all the way through. First John. So John is the apostle whom Jesus loved, and I put the references up there for you. All, the, all those references deal with uh, John being loved by Jesus, and they start in chapter 13 and verse 23 when he has his head upon his breast. When Jesus uh, revealed uh, one would betray him, it is, it is John who said, who is it, in John 13, 25. So John is a type of the church. Being apostle who Jesus loved, not only for the re- not only for that reason, but he's also a disciple who followed Jesus to the cross. He's the only one who did it. There he he was entrusted with the care of Jesus's mother Mary, and he lived uh, through um, <clears throat> almost all the first century, and is believed to to be the only apostle who was not martyred, though it wasn't for lack of trying. They tried to kill John, but God wouldn't allow it. So, like the church, John was able to lean upon Jesus Christ, hear the heart of God's word. And John, of all apostles, saw Jesus who, who, uh, for who he was, and he was, of course, the word of God. And that's how he introduces him in both 1 John and the book of John. So who better to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ and speak to the dispersed churches other than the aged and faithful John? His writings give us insights into our relationship with Christ. The gospel of John is focused on salvation uh, as we deal uh, with learning who Jesus Christ is. And our understanding of that, the, the epistles of first through third John deal with our sanctification as we learn to fellowship with Christ and the epistle of revelation that was entrusted to John deals with our glorification. So John is like the church and that he is caught up into the third heaven to observe the events of the tribulation and he's not subject to them. John was faithful and we should be faithful as well. The O is opposition from within and without. In first John chapter two and verse 16, the Bible is very clear that our biggest enemy is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But that wasn't the only opposition. The opposition from without is clearly defined in the, per, in the persons of Antichrist. In 1 John 2.18, 1 John 2.22, uh, those verses are up there. You can look them up. Uh, but also the spirit of Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know we the spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There he again is hitting on that reality that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, 
and even already now is <clears throat> in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is uh, he that is in you than he that is in the world. They that are of the world, therefore, speak uh, they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, do you hear this word? Do you hear the Bible? Do you listen to God's word? That's going to divide up the men from the boys. Will you receive his word or will you not? This epistle also teaches us how to walk in the light and have fellowship with the Lord Jesus. We learn many things in 1 John that will aid our fellowship with the Father and one another. Learning to walk is challenging. A baby falls a lot. You know what? It's not that falling that's the problem. It's do you get back up and keep going. John gives us parameters to learn how to walk with God in fellowship. Do I live do I live my life in light of the imminent return of Christ in 1 John 3, 3? Do we deal with our sin or continue to dwell in it? 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 3, 1, or 1 John 3, 6 and 9, 1 John 5, 18. You can see these verses. Do I love or hate my spiritual brother? We've already touched on that. Do I desire to help my brother? Do I really love my brother? All those questions are asked in this epistle. Do I really love God? Do I enjoy fellowship with other servants of God? Do I live in constant fear? Do I overcome the world? Do I, uh, <clears throat> do I have an ability to discern false doctrine when it comes my way? These are questions that John will cause us to ask ourselves. Do I understand the deity of Christ? Do I understand uh, the work of Christ? These things will help us walk with Christ as we evaluate those things and we learn those things from 1 John. And then the last thing, which is so important, is, is no breaking of fellowship. Man, this epistle helps us learn how to walk with Christ in the light of his word. Walking in the light is what it's all about in verse 7. But as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, but as, I'm sorry, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we walk in the light. We recognize our sin in verse 8. We confess our sins in verse 9. It is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. We'll have a whole sermon coming on that. And so we keep God's commandments, 1 John 2 and 1 John 5. We abide in Christ. We keep unspotted from the world, and we minister to brothers in need. Many of the same things that we dealt with in the previous point. So in conclusion, let me recap what we've seen. Number one, God is one, and no philosophies of man will change that. Jesus was all God and all man at his first coming, and we uh, should be all in before the second coming. We should be all about Jesus Christ before he comes for his church. John is the apostle who Jesus loved, a type of the church and author of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. Uh, <clears throat> John was the elder writing to the churches uh, because of the, they faced opposition within and without. There was opposition that, John, that the churches faced in the first century. There's opposition that we will face today. The H is dealing with John and how this book practically applied to fulfilling the great commandment in our lives and walking in the light as he is in the light, having fellowship one with another. How do we apply the word to our lives? The N is no breaking of fellowship. It is, desire, it is a desired goal of John that there be no breaking of fellowship. So maybe this morning you're out of fellowship with Christ. And I'll tell you what, God wants you to be in fellowship with him. He wants you to come this morning and have fellowship with him through Jesus Christ the Son. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. And there's a sin not unto death. We know that whatsoever is, whosoever, whosoever I'm sorry, is born of God 
sinneth not, but he that be, uh, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. You know, this morning we're in all we're all in different places. Maybe this morning you're dealing with the fact that you're lying to yourself. Man, you need to straighten that up and get it right with God. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I am so right with God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, good. Just be careful and don't make that your little club, right? You got to share the love of Christ with everybody else. Don't get puffed up with pride like the Gnostics. Maybe this morning you're somewhere in between as a Christian and you've fallen down and you need to get up again. Man, don't delay. Get back in fellowship with God. Avail yourself of his grace and walk in the light as he's in the light, having fellowship one with another. Believe God's word over even how you feel. So you can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.